Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. If you really want to improve as a leader, I've got a great deal for you. Simply go to mojouniversity.com and sign up for our two-week trial. Take any of my courses. I promise you, you're going to get better. You're going to learn. Go to mojouniversity.com and sign up totally for free and try us out for two weeks. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest, Mr. Don Barden, today. Uh, Don is a speaker, author, professor, advisor, coach, and also happens to be a corporate executive who practices what he preaches. Uh, Don is the owner, managing partner of the Perfect Plan Company, and also 3CI, an Atlanta-based company diversified into leadership development and training, business and financial services, and many other things that he does as well. We'll talk about some of those today. His books are published in over 39 countries, including The Perfect Plan, the outcome of his 10-year global research uh, study to discover the world's top performing business leaders and also sales leaders. Today, we're going to talk about the secret formula of the elite 1% of business leaders. I know that'll be fun. So, Don, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Glad to have you today. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. I'm such a big fan of your show and your book and everything you're about. The entire the entire uh, message and the, the tribe that you've got going is, is just awesome. So thank you for having me, and I really, really appreciate what you're doing. My pleasure, Don, and looking forward to uh, speaking today, and I really can't wait to dive into the secret formula. But before we do, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing you've been up to lately outside of work? Outside of work. Okay, let me think about this. Um, I have to confess something, if I'm actually going to tell you this. Um, a little bit of this is an age-related issue, but uh, I try to stay healthy. I try to work out, and, you know, my knees and joints just aren't where they used to be. So I went all in for, and I don't know if you've seen it out there, the, the big uh, the bikes they've been advertising called Peloton. Um, it's, a, it's, it's your way of being in an online spinner class without actually having to go anywhere. So I have this new bike that I've been riding in, uh, I've got a little gym area in my house and, uh, it, it's amazing technology. I get to ride the bike in my home and be online watching a spin class out of New York and feel like I'm part of something bigger than just me in my house in the corner, uh, exercising, but it's been amazing. It's got my, uh, my cardio back to where I wanted it to be. And, uh, it's actually addictive, you know, exercise is addictive and these <laughs> folks have been able to make it, they made it fun. So a uh, big shout out to Peloton. Um, 
They didn't pay me to say that, but I tell you, uh, it's an awesome deal. <laughs> no, I'm addicted. No, no worries, Don. That's a great testimonial. And uh, as as far as I'm concerned, uh, congratulations for exercising. Uh, it is certainly uh, the secret to staying young. And uh, I uh, exercise religiously myself, so I totally get it. Uh, and we're, uh, we love hearing that type of thing on Manager Mojo because the bottom line is uh, we can't be great leaders unless we take care of our own body and we're, we're full of energy in order to do our job. So good example and thanks for sharing that. No, no thanks for the question. Great question. Now, uh, Don, uh, I, I want to start, I I'm, I'm really want to dive into the secret formula uh, uh, for elite business leaders. So it, before you talk about the formula, what I'd like for you to do is define for our listeners, what do you mean when you say an elite uh, b- business leader? What, what constitutes an elite 1% of business leaders? Sure. Well, we approach this from a scientific point of view. So it's a great question because it's about measurement. And we've always said that you can't grow anything and you can't understand anything unless you can measure it, uh, where you've been, where you're going, what you want to do, how everything works. So to be straight up, it was just a measurement. When we looked at the bell curve of whatever industry these people were in, and they were basically outliers, which means they, they, they lied way outside the statistical mean to the point that in most cases, these elite organizations and leaders were almost ignored by everyone else. They were such an anomaly. They were almost like a freak show that no one wanted to pay attention to them because they were so different and so radical. And we noticed that and if you took a regular bell curve, that these top tier performers, these elite 1%, it didn't follow the same glide plane as everyone else. In other words, you could you could see 20 moving into 19, 18, 17, 16, you know, the top performers out there. It's just nice and smooth. But the difference between the top 2% of the people in whatever industry there is and the top 1%, it wasn't smooth. It was like the Grand Canyon existed in, in between them. So once we figured out who these folks were and we were able to figure out the best way to measure them, which comes in a variety of different ways, it was really easy to figure out who they were because they, they, they lied so far outside the statistical norm for their industry and, and the folks that were around them. How about just giving us an example of what that might look like so that uh, our listeners can kind of get that in their mind? Sure. Well, if uh, an organization uh, was so good uh, that, number one, that everybody started to ask why. They're like, wow, why are these people so good? Then you knew you were in the right spot. If they had a culture and almost this unbelievable following of people behind them, whatever they did, and and it doesn't have to be cool and neat and sexy. I mean, it could be some of those non-event things that would happen in a normal person's life, but they're passionate about what they do. But they're so passionate and they were so unique in their ability to deliver that, number one, people ask why. Wow, I want to be a part of that. And then most people do a 180, uh, the, the tribe, I guess, the followers or the competition, if you want to use that word. I hate that word, but that's the best description of it. The people in that same space, instead of being attracted to it, they would immediately turn around and say, oh, well, they're just lucky. Um, and that translates into either I can't figure it out, so I'm going to make an excuse on why they're better than me, or I don't want to put in the time and effort to go through what I, they have to, what I need to go through to get to that level of expertise and performance. But so immediately, like I said, if, if you see this rush of people going, wow, this is awesome, this is a culture, it's an amazing thing, I'm so magnetized to it, I want to be a part of it, you know you're there. 
But then the second thing is when people start to reject it and step away because they can't figure it out, you also know you're there. So it's a little bit beyond just the measurement. It was actually the, the momentum of the behavior of the people that was around them. Well, that's a great way to describe it. I know that uh, over the years, uh, I, I've certainly seen that in top sales performers. Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, the reality is uh, people always look at top sales performers, and I know from personal experience that the charge has always been, well, you know, you're just lucky. And right. I, I, I don't buy that. I believe that uh, luck is uh, the sum of deliberate intent followed by really right. good planning. So uh, the, the simple fact is, I know we have sales examples uh, for that. And it's good to know mm -hmm. that you guys have studied it also from a leadership uh, standpoint. So uh, talk about the, these uh, outliers. I mean, what actually, uh, were there any common components that, that made these people stand out and want people to, to be like them or that separated them from the common, uh, for, the, for the competition as we talked about it? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's what started the study to begin with. See, this was a doctoral study that was funded by a Wall Street firm. And they'd asked me to do that because I had this sort of aha moment, I guess you'd say, uh, about 21, 22 years ago. And I used to work on the international circuit, which means um, some people think it's fun. And, and international travel is fun until one day it's not. And it's instant. <laughs> it's like, it's like that, that, that scene in Forrest Gump when he was running, you know, and he just stopped. And he turned around and said, I'm done. Well, that's what international travel's like. But uh, I, was, I was on the international travel tour. I hey, uh, hang on, Don. I, I got to yeah. tell you, that that's the best example of over-travel that I've ever heard. <laughs> to oh, for, yeah. to compare it, it to so Forrest Gump. I love it. Yep. Yep. And you know what's interesting? Everybody can tell you where they were when they had that moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was on the corner of Paritska Street and, and basically the, the Czech equivalent to Main Street. Uh, in Prague when I had that moment. And um, I, I, I can tell you exactly where I was looking and what I felt and what the weather was like. And I just stopped. That's what I'm done. But um, so before that, when my career depended on it, I, um, I got to travel all over the world. And because of the size of our firm and who we were with, uh, we were very fortunate that the folks we were working with would only send out their best and brightest, their A-team. And this is before LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, really before cell phones became such commonplace. But what was neat about it was wherever I was, no matter what we were talking about, the deals were all different. But these A players that we got to work with, I started noticing that if you took away culture and you took away language, that it didn't matter if I was in Tokyo, Prague, Mexico City, Moscow, or London. I swear I was talking to the same person. I yeah. started to notice that, that there was this familiar thing about these people. Yet again, this is before connectivity was out there the way it is now. So I came back and I said, said to the people I worked for, I said, look, there's something really cool, a little bit unique, and incredibly, incredible opportunity here that if we can figure out what makes these people the same, what is that common ground about them, then we might could turn it into ourselves and become that way and, and start to see, see where it goes. So that's what kicked out the study was I did notice that there was common ground and it went beyond language and beyond culture and it went beyond industry as well. It was just something that these people had that everyone else, I wouldn't say didn't have, but didn't utilize, didn't make, uh, make the most of. 
Well, why don't you share with our listeners uh, one or two things that really stood out? Uh, what what drew you to these people? What what made them uh, stand out in your mind and yet look uh, the same? Sure. Um, number one was their incredible ability to understand why people make decisions that they do. And they were able to look at people and sum them up very, very quickly and know the route that they were going to take in their thought processes and ultimately what was going to drive their decisions. And that took a lot of work on our end to kind of unravel that and figure it out because you make a lot of decisions. Every second of the day you're making decisions, but these folks were able to kind of narrow it down. But they didn't do it to advance their cause. They didn't do it to sell their product. They actually did it to respect other people. And so if they knew that you made your decisions one way, they wouldn't come at you the way they wanted to do it. They would come at you the way you wanted to do it. So in, in leadership and in management, imagine this. Um, we call it you know, the, the biggest misquote in history is the golden rule, right? So oh, if, yeah. if you go back and uh, you know, read the golden rule, do unto others as you had them do unto you, that is so selfish. You know, I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated. I don't care how you want to be treated. You know, which is basically what it's saying. And you now, in modern English, we get it. That's not really what it means. It means to treat people with respect, and hopefully you want to be respected. But the original context of that wasn't treat others the way you want to be treated. It was treat others the way they want to be treated. And, and these elite performers out there, these leaders, have the ability to look at people, understand them, know the story of their life, know what makes them up, and respect them in a level that they didn't treat them the way they want to be treated meaning themselves, they treated them the way they, the person, the consumer, the, the, per, the, the team member wanted to be treated. So that was number one. It's all about respecting someone and treating them the way they want to be treated, not treating them the way you want to be treated. And that was sort of that, that was sort of the beginning that began to sort of pull the string that these people really are different. They're not pushing product. They're actually respecting people uh, at a different level, which created this bonding trust that was just incredible. Very cool. I love that. And what about the second thing? What about another thing that you saw? I guess the continuation of that would be their understanding of emotion and what emotion does uh, to a person as a fuel, as an energy, especially today when we have a commoditized world. Uh, there's more than one good choice. There's more than one great place to work. There's more than one good manager out there. So it's not like you have you know total domination over your particular space or, or your career or your team, when people have choices, in economics we call it a commodity, then what's going to make them choose you to follow or to purchase from or whatever it is that you're trying to do versus the next person? And if you go back into science and logic, it all boils down to a formula that's based on evidence and reasoning, that you take the evidence, which is the facts, and then you take the reasoning, which is your emotions, and the evidence and reasoning combined in your brain to help you choose what's best for you. Because if there's more than one good choice, then, hey, that's a great place to be. But i got to pick one, so what do I do? Well, most people grossly underestimate the role of emotion in there. They think it's all about the facts. And, well, I've got to have a better product. Or let me tell you more about this. Or let me tell you more about that. The reality is that in the decision-making process, we've learned that these people understood that only 15% of the decision is based on the facts. 85% is based on how they feel about you. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that they don't want to know the facts. It's just the opposite. What that says is they only need 15% of the facts to outsource success to you, to follow you. In other words, they don't want to know what you know. They just want to know enough to know that you do know. And then they want to feel good about you. 
So if you look at it from a management point of view, you know, obviously everyone has skills and, and things they have to do and, and policies, but if you're going to get somebody to follow you, they're going to follow you because they trust you, but they don't need to know everything you know. They just need to know enough to know that you do know so they can follow you, and then they need to feel really, really good about that. So it was really all about understanding that it's really driven by emotions. And the second part of that was that, and this is kind of, this is this pains me to tell you this, by the way, because this is going to apply to people who are listening to me right now, that after someone's done speaking, someone can only recall 6% of what they said 10 minutes after they've left. So when I give lectures and I teach all over the world, I know that 10 minutes after the class is over with, the people can only remember 6% of the content. Now, we've never been able to figure out which 6%, but <laughs> everybody gets 6% of something, right? But here's the interesting thing, Steve. They remember 100% about how they felt about you and that experience, that moment, forever. Yeah, yeah they do. So if you think back on, yeah, think about your college days. And you say, oh, well, who's your favorite professor? And you say, oh, well, I had this, this incredible professor, and she, she changed my life, and she helped me think differently, and she was great. And it's like, what class was it? And it goes, I don't remember everything, but it was just, it was just, it was just such an amazing moment, that connection. So you might not remember the particulars of the class, but you remember the, the leadership there and the fact that you followed them and they changed you, and you're willing to do that forever, even though sometimes you don't remember all the facts. Well, I, I think uh, it, clearly uh, this is a, a common denominator of great leaders everywhere. And uh, if you're gonna be an exceptional leader, you have to understand the impact of emotion on people's decisions. And you're 100% right. I mean, I know your research has shown it as well. Uh, the, the reality is that people aren't gonna hear you unless they know you care about them. Uh, right. They, right. they just don't care. Uh, and, right. and the simple fact is managers make this mistake all the time. Uh, they continue to believe that uh, people are showing up just for the paycheck and they may be there temporarily just for the paycheck because they can't stand you anymore. And they're right. waiting until they find that person that does care about them and they're going to change jobs and they're going to go to the new new place. Yeah, yeah, it's 100%. People don't change jobs for the money. They change because of managers. They do. Um, and... Yeah, and it's the failure of the manager to understand that the autocratic systems don't work anymore. Uh, in the past, when there weren't a lot of choices, when there wasn't connectivity, when, when people did just kind of come and go because they were happy to have a job because a lot of times there weren't any choices, in the industrial age, you had to, you had to be different than you are to know. So I'm certainly not looking back on history and judging them, but that is not applicable now. People can have a choice and they can choose things and they want to be stimulated and they want to come to work and know that there is a greater good, that they're part of something bigger and that management cares about that. And any management team who fails to understand that uh, is very, very short lived. No, and, no um, question, Don, you're hundred percent right. And, and I think even more so than ever in today's uh, climate, business climate, because unemployment is uh, at all time lows. Uh, we have competition for great talent, but you know what? You can find great talent as long as you can connect with them emotionally from the beginning yeah. and convince them yeah. that you are the difference in between them having a great and rewarding career or uh, or not. And if you can't do that, they're not going to come your way. And right. it, it's just a plain, simple fact. 
I'm, I'm curious uh, of your thought. It, it, you know, you mentioned that you started this uh, 21, 22 years ago before all social media and everything and uh, mm -hmm. smartphones. But uh, one thing that, that it seems to me that has happened, and I may be incorrect about this, so I just want to throw it on the table. Uh, but my observation is that because uh, data, information, facts, if you will, is so readily available through uh, internet, search engines, our smart devices, all the things that we have access to, uh, that, that people uh, have been just deluged with information. And I think they have totally lost sight of the fact that at our core, we are emotional human beings and we need to connect to people emotionally. Is that just Steve being touchy-feely or does your research connect with that? Uh, no, we, it connects with it 100%. Uh, but like anything, there's more than one answer, right? Yeah. So uh, if yeah. Any, uh, why are the, 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 the little kittens and the puppy videos the most popular thing on YouTube these days? It's because it creates a warm feeling. You know, uh, versus some other content. So I don't think emotions are lost. Um, I think it's just um, social media has a chance to take some emotion away, but people will use it to seek it and find it. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan, like gigantic fan of the millennial generation. Okay, mm -hmm. and I know a lot of people give them a bad rap and say, "Oh, well, they don't care. They don't work as hard." I, I have not found that to be true. We have no evidence for that. But I, I can tell you what we do. Uh, here's what we do have with the millennials. This is the first generation in history to never know a limit. In other words, they've never not known Google. They've never not had a computer in their hand. So, it, I, not to date myself, but possibly during the 1960s, <laughs> if you had or the 70s, if you had to write a paper, God forbid, you go to a library. And say you had to write a paper on Africa, and you go, okay, this sounds cool. And you go, you look up, and you go through the the roller roller whatever I can't remember what call those things. You, know, you pull them out, <laughs> you look for it, and you go find the book and you read it, and then you realize the, the book index was cards. Years done. Ago. Index I know card, what they were. <laughs> there you go. But you, but you get a book that's twenty five years old, and you're you're sitting there going, I wonder how current this is. Hey, that, right? today they wouldn't even know how to go search in the library to find that darn right. book. Right, they're, you know they're what? Not that's beautiful. <laughs> they're not in there because they don't need to be in there. That's the beautiful part. If you wanted to learn something about, say, Africa, you can Google it and watch all the YouTube videos and listen to podcasts and everything you want in an instant. There is, so, and it's accurate and it's up to date. And what's cool is this generation, not only has it never known a limit, it's never known a time where, where something could not be accomplished. So, the, like, you know, when I was a little kid, I mean, we were trying to get to the moon. Right? It was like, wow, if we can get to the moon, that would be amazing. Now, I guarantee you there's some young girl who may be at MIT or Georgia Tech or somewhere one day or might just be in some little middle school, but by God, I guarantee you she's going to invent a lightsaber because she saw it on Star Wars and she said, that's cool. Why not? Right. And at a young age, she starts Googling lasers and light amplification and all this stuff. So, I look at the data that's out there as the most beautiful thing ever because we've unleashed a generation who knows how to handle it. And, yeah, okay, of course there's bad stuff out there. There was bad stuff when I was a kid. It was just in print versus, you know, on digital. But at, at the end of the day, there's so much good data out there and so, so many people who think, oh, this is great, I can do this. I, I think that's why we're growing at exponential rates. I think that's why we see unemployment as low as it is. 
there's just all this great thing. So I'm a big fan of millennials. I'm a big fan of data. But is it taken away from our emotions? Um, maybe. But managers, great managers, can look at it and say, it's just a tool. And how does this tool fit into what, what we're doing well, and, and yeah. give a chance? And that's you, the connection. You use social media. Yeah. No, yeah, that's the connection. You're 100% right. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're 100% yeah, use right. It, use it, create a culture with it. You know, use it to promote things and do things and ask them, hey, I don't know. I don't understand this. Will you do this for me? Can you be our social media manager or something? And, and get out of their way you know, and watch them, watch them uh, be better than you. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Don. And uh, I love your passion for, uh, for this entire topic. And I know our listeners are going to want to connect with you. Why don't you share uh, how they might connect with you and learn more about the great work that you and your team are doing? The best way to do it is to send me an email, and I answer every email. It's something I've had uh, passionate about forever. Uh, so uh, send me an email at don d o n at d w b a r d e n dot com. Don at d w barden dot com. And uh, if they want to copy my book, I'll be happy to send it to them. Um, if they want some videos, um, we're very much in the generative way where we want to give, 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 give. And if there's anything we can do to help any of your listeners out, we're, we're thrilled to do it. We charge for nothing. That's awesome, Don. And uh, listeners, I hope you'll uh, take Don up on this. Uh, and uh, please uh, take advantage of this great opportunity. Uh, Don, here at Manager Mojo, before we uh, to end a, a discussion, we always like to have a couple of action items that I want people to leave with. And I know that our listeners are intent on becoming better leaders. Uh, that's the whole point of, of this particular broadcast. So what would be your top two action items that they should take to be a better leader? Where do they start? What would be those top two action items that they could start today toward that journey of better leadership? Sure. Well, um, can I sneak three in? <laughs> you can <laughs> three sneak three. That's fine. Okay, Absolutely. good. Uh, no. Number one, and this is what all those elite leaders and managers do, is they open up every conversation, every email, every communication, every connection with an attitude of gratitude. Start every conversation with someone on your team with a deep felt appreciation for them. Make it real. Don't make it cheesy. Don't run through it. But just take a moment to tell them thank you. Or, hey, look, I really appreciate the hard work you're doing. Or, hey, I saw what you're doing uh, on this charity walk this weekend. Thank you. That was that's awesome connect with them and bond with them immediately with an attitude of gratitude. It, it goes way beyond anything else. And these elite performers did that. Every conversation, email, voicemail, everything started with an attitude of gratitude. Uh, second, number two, is remember what I said. They just they don't want to know everything you know. They just want to know enough to know that you do know. So when you're talking to somebody, give them only two or three things or less, one, two or three things to do. No more than that. Um, you might think that there's a lot going on. You need to do a dump on them and just give them all these things. No, no, no. Narrow it down. Two or three things, and that's it. If you have to have more than two or three things to do, send another email, have another meeting. But, but keep it down and keep it short. And then the third thing is make someone's life easier. If you're asking them to follow you, ask them to follow you because it's going to be easier at the end. It might be hard in the short term, but it's going to be easier in the end. Or what we're going to do for our customers or the people we serve is going to make their life easier because in this world that we have i always joke with people that most of the people you'll run into are either in a state of chaos leaving a state of chaos or running toward the next state of chaos they don't need your chaos they got enough of their own so if you can make someone's life easier think about how great it would be so open up with an attitude of gratitude 
clearly educate them just two or three things that's all that's for each moment and then three make their life easier if you can do those three things you're on your way to being a great leader that is awesome those are great action items don uh and we certainly appreciate that our guest today is don barden and uh, i hope that you will connect with don uh, learn more about his great work uh, at the Perfect Plan Company. Uh, I know he does a lot of leadership work and I think you should connect with him and really learn how to be a great leader. So Don, on behalf of our listeners today, uh, I wanna let you know that you've made it easier for all of us to understand what that top 1% looks like. Uh, and we are grateful that you have shared the, the blessings and wisdom that you have come about uh, in your lifetime. Thank you for sharing that today. And we wish you continued success hear from all of our listeners at Manager Mojo. Thank you, Steve. Keep serving people and the world will change. It's, it's going to be a great future. Awesome. We totally agree. <laughs>